Insert gay card. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I'm gay. You can't love yourself. How in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Gay card revoked. Hey everybody, and welcome to Gay Card Revoked. I'm Rob Schneider. I'm Robbie Roselle. We are so happy to have you with us again today for episode four. Robbie, we're on four episode in. four. We're, we're moving along and don't forget so many folks, punches on so, your card. so many punches on your gay card hopefully mm -hmm. your gay card has not been revoked robbie tell everybody what is today's lesson guys we're talking about torch song trilogy which is maybe my, one of my favorite plays and the movie the play I as well yeah film but like i think the play is brilliant so i can't wait and we have such a great guest so we we do indeed and before yeah. we bring our guest on don't forget folks every podcast episode has a themed drink that goes oh along with it it's called the pink rabbit What's in honor it? of harvey and uh actually did you know that harvey signs everything with um an i love you um but it looks like a bunny so like oh. he signs his name and then puts like this sort of bunny loop of the i love you sign language that's part of the show Harvey Firestein, good for you. See, normally when I, when I sign my name, it's usually I sign Robbie Rizel because it's worth more money. Oh, for what? Bail. <laughs> for bail. What the hell is in the pink rabbit? I'd well, love to tell you. It's a one ounce of gin. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ounce of vermouth. It's an like ounce of- Like a blanc of... vermouth. Blanc, oh yeah. Wait, you know all this liquor stuff. I well, don't know. Because, because there is like a, a, a sweet vermouth, which is red. And then there's like the white vermouth, which is like a blanc. It's, um, that's what's usually in like a martini. I, I'm learning so much. I'm a giver. You are. Thank you. And there's an ounce of Rubi, Rubio's tea. Ru sure. And Rubio's tea. And a half a teaspoon of lemon juice and you need an orange peel for garnish. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? <laughs> what do you do with all these ingredients? You just, uh, you combine them. <laughs> and you throw them all into your mixer and you stir them with ice. To chill it, we're, ta we're then, talking. We're talking you about do like, not overmix it. Do not overmix, no. and you and there's also tea involved. This is a hot oh, drink. Right. This is a hot drink, folks. You so got to you know. To, you have to boil that tea. Twelve ounces of water. You, and not not you know. There's lots of different tea in our community. You know. There's 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 spilling. There's spilling the tea. Mm -hmm. There's are you into tea? There is. I have a fetish for Mister Tea. There is. <laughs> I like the old TV show, Mr. T and Tina with Pat Morita. Like, there's a lot of tea in our community. <laughs> so, but we're talking about the kind you drink. Uh, you can find the ingredients on how to make the drink online. Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook. What else do the kids use? Is that it? Periscope. I don't know what that is. Oh, per Periscope. Periscope. MySpace. And we, oh, we actually, one... we're all we're leaving Facebook, right? And just going back to MySpace. Yes, which Thank might, God, which will make Tom very happy. He's been I very, look very, very thin lonely. in my photos in MySpace, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> They're all from like 20 years ago. Actually, it's, we should how ask. How dare you? We should ask our guest. No, I'm the same way. I had hair and hope in my eyes. You don't have that anymore <laughs> in any of the profile. Now pictures. it's just gin and regret. And then, <laughs> and actually, yep. let's ask our guest if he had a MySpace. We have with us one of New York's most popular actors. Uh, everybody loves him ourselves highly included on that list. It's the yeah. wonderful Claiborne Elder. Clay, how are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Clay, we are so happy to have you. Okay, Clay, let's ask you. MySpace, did you have one? Are you? 
I totally had a MySpace page. I might still have a MySpace page. Does it still exist? Is it still yes. out there? So, right? so Justin Timberlake like bought it and it was supposed to be for bands for a time. But now it's, I think, just music. I might be making all this up and you're welcome, listener, if that's the case, because I'm a giver. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't fact check us. Don't fact check us. No. Okay, so Wouldn't Clay, it be you... amazing, though, if we all just retreated back to MySpace? We were <laughs> like, Friendster. Let's huh? just go all the way back to Friendster. Mail. We just started writing each other's just letters. AOL M for M uh, chat rooms. <laughs> I'm going to send you all a telegram. I want to go back even further than that. Good. It's time to close Zigfeld. Dear Clay, stop. Thank you for being on the podcast. Stop. <laughs> Can't wait to see you in the city. Stop. So, Clay, um, tell. First of all, you you have. When did you first like come to the city? When did you first come to New York? You know, I came to New York. I mean older than a lot of first time actors coming to New York. I was 25, which I know is very young, but I wasn't 20, you know. So last year, last year. Yeah, that's great thank you, God you. bless you, we're best friends. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be in that I, top eight on MySpace if it kills me, Clay. <laughs> Just right next to Tom. Eight. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I came to New York when I was 25. I didn't have an agent, I didn't know anybody. I had studied dramaturgy in college. Um, oh, really? Wait, 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 where's college for you? I, I went to the U, I graduated from the University of Utah. I also went to BYU in Utah, and I also studied acting in Moscow, Russia at the Dramatic Arts Academy. Oh my God, how long were you in Moscow for? For like eight months. Wow. Had a lot of questions. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because wow, homosexuality wow. is illegal there. It is, and you know what? It's funny because when I was there, I wasn't, I was out, but, um, you know, I was young and I wasn't, I was more concentrated on kind of school and stuff. I wasn't like going out to the clubs and things. There was a gay bar. It was called Orange. And the only gay person I met while I was in Russia was, it's a very romantic story, but I'm didn't, here obviously, for it. it this didn't is work my out. Natasha Pierre. I'm here. Yeah. I was riding on the subway home and it was a very crowded train. And there was kind of like a cute guy standing next to me. And we were kind of like, you know, looked at each other and looked at each other but we ended up facing away from each other and our hands ended up touching each other and we started holding hands on the subway that's both of our mouths are down that's romantic you should have passed letters i know we should have i didn't speak russian very well i spoke like a little tiny bit but we got off the train and he asked me where i lived and and i kind of like told him where i lived and we never saw each other again this is this is a light in the piazza set in Russia, is what I'm saying. Somebody write this musical. That is okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's and romantic. Right after company ends. Yeah. Huh? Perfect. He's got a Russian gay um, love gay story Russian to tell. Love story. I'm I think I think that's beautiful. Okay, so you moved you moved to New York. You said at what? Twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah. And just started pounding the pavement, went to every audition I could go to and all the open calls and um, finally got a job. And, and what was that first job? The first job I got was in Roadshow, which was Stephen Sondheim's last new musical at the public. Um, playing oh, that's a, pr- that's a yeah, pretty on. nice first job to get. It was. I still feel like I was, if it, it, it feels like I was like one of those 12 year old girls who's in the Olympics 
And when they're 12 and in the Olympics, they're like, I don't know, I'm in the Olympics. Ba, 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 ba. But <laughs> when they're, you know, but you when Canada, they're 40, right? like, they probably go back and look at their lives and they're like, I was in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> what That's you're sort saying of what is like. you're the Gus Kent worthy of musical theater. I wish. You're welcome. I wish I were as cool, athletic, popular. Everybody's seen your Instagram. We all know. <laughs> is a popular man we know we know it's fine uh, i actually worked on that the roadshow cast album yeah I you was did with, i did i was with ps classics at the time you've done a lot yeah. though, with with john doyle and with steve sondheim i can i can call him steve uh steve, steve ss you know. Um, <laughs> you know i i it's funny because i never i mean i love sondheim passionately more than any more than any other musical theater writer for sure that's just kind of my jam but i never like set out to and to to only do steven sondheim not that that's only thing i do but i um company will be i it's my 12th professional production of a steven sondheim musical oh wow and rob have you seen company yet no i had tickets and then everything closed down i'm i'm dying to see it i hear it's fantastic you you said you saw it yeah (gasps) It's spectacular. He's spectacular. My friend Bobby uh, Conti Thornton is in it, and he's oh wonderful. my gosh, Bobby's fantastic. Um, we need he's to talk so about that nightmare scene and Patty Lapone in that nightmare scene. Isn't that the best thing in the world? I've now seen two Tony Award winners vomit into toilets on stage. <laughs> is Alice Ripley the first? Uh huh. Okay, great. <laughs> in American Psycho. Just making sure. Okay, so. so- so Get Clay, tickets oh, for company when uh, when it reopens because Clay's excellent in it. Well, thank you. What is Clay not excellent in? Clay, is there anything that you're like? I'm embarrassed that I did this. That you're like, oh, if somebody was question. like, hey, I've, I found you on YouTube doing ba ba ba, you would go, Often. oh my god. Often, I am I am a very bad critic of myself. Like like we all are. I know that's not a unique property, but I definitely like if I ever see videos of myself or if I'm ever on, like, on a TV show or something, I'm always like cringing and I have a hard time watching myself. In my head, it's so much better. Oh, of course. In your head, you're brilliant. And then you if see- I had it, a nickel. Oh my God. <laughs> what am I so, doing? So we've worshiped Clay. Let's, uh, let's start talking about Harvey Firestein's epic three-act play, Short so, Song Trilogy. So Clay, were you familiar with the play before you started working on it? I was, you know, I had read it in college and studied it in college, um, but never had seen a production of it uh, done, partially because, you know, it's such an, um, an epic piece of theater. It's so long. It's hard to do um, because it's so long. And that's kind of one of the special things about this new Broadway production is that they cut, cut it down significantly so that it is more of a two-act kind of play. Um, but so I did know it, um, but like most things you study in college and then see later, I was so surprised by the material and how, how revolutionary it was for when it was created. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting to think that like at the time that these, because they come out in, in three sort of segments, right, Robbie? Mm-hmm. I mean, he does International Stud in 78 and then the next right. one's 79, then, you know, 81. It's so interesting to think at this time that it's really you know, you're in that very interesting area in our history where it's, it's been decriminalized in New York City and AIDS hasn't yet come onto the scene. And so there's this little pocket of celebration and that it sort of encapsulates that era so well. And you're right, it's so powerful because we didn't really have a lot of positive representation 
in any sort of media at that time. I mean, there was Wayland Flower and Madam, and there was uh, Paul Lind on the center square, but there wasn't like a lot of representation in any media, really. Tell us a little bit about diving into the research of this late 70s, early 80s world that we get to mm -hmm. see in this play. And, yeah. what did you, and what did you learn about the world that maybe you did not know previously? Well, it was great to do this production with Moises Kaufman as our director and at the helm of it, in that he is a person who is uniquely qualified um, with, a, with an eye towards gay history. Um, I think, you know, he really... He really understands it, knows it, and is able to teach it in a way that is understandable to actors. And I think that that was super helpful uh, initially as we started the rehearsal process, which we had a long, we had a really nice long rehearsal process. Um, it was so nice to have his insight on what was being said and what we were doing and, and the significance of the first play versus the second play versus the third play and how they stand in, uh, in opposition and to join each other. And um, for me personally, reading the initial text and other versions of the text um, of the play is like always the first place to go is, you know, what other versions of this text are there? Because what other, what, what, clues or the play did the playwright have to cut out for any number of reasons that we would find in another version of the script you know um so and that for this in this instance was wonderful because there are so many versions that harvey had written over the years and because they had been written separately first you know it was so fun to go through like rifle through all those versions and be like oh my gosh there was at one point this happened at one point this scene took this turn and um so that was like the first step. The second step was we had an amazing dramaturg on that production who gave us a beautiful packet of information about gay history and, you know, what, what it was like to be gay in New York at that time, which, you know, is foreign to us now. Sure. And, um, and, you know, what the back room was like at one of those bars and what, you know, like what anonymity was like in a time before we had the internet and social media and every, you know, um, those were some of the things that were most interesting to me to research. We went to the, where the international stud was and went to the back room, which is a restaurant now where you can like sit and eat. <laughs> people only knew. If people this only knew seriously, right? I would, like, I would like a steak and a side of poppers. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Steak and poppers. That sounds like that is a great That's a menu. sitcom for TBS. So, uh -huh. I'll take the steak and poppers. It's a buddy cop comedy, but <laughs> gluten free poppers. So steak and poppers is a cop drama, all right? A cop yeah. comedy with a cop named Steak and a cop named Popper. Sure yeah. is. Sure is. It's me poppers. And poppers. Is <laughs> we just sold Never clay on a pilot, best. folks. <laughs> What? When did you when did you join the tour song process? Did, were you so, with it at a second stage? I wasn't with it at second stage. My son was born um, the first week of the second stage run, and so Moises had talked to me about he and I have worked together a couple of times before, and he had I mean no like didn't offer me a job or anything, but he had said like hey are you you know we're doing this thing and I want you to audition solely just to audition, but I had to say I can't. Uh, you know, I couldn't do it. Our son was born in Fresno and I didn't want to miss that. So sure. whether or not I would have been involved with the first production or not, who knows, but I wasn't. I did see it. I did get to go and see it. And it was, I, I did love it so much. I was I, so enamored of it. And so when I found out it was going to New York, I did, you know, like 
I waited for that audition to come. I was like, please, 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 please. Um, because I knew I really wanted to be a part of it. You know, going back to the research, if I can, for a second, you know, what is one thing that you learned about either the history of the play or the history when this play takes place that you wish a new generation had had known or would know? You know, this is a a particular time in our history when I feel like understanding and having a, even just a general knowledge of our history is very, very, very important. Um, when so, so many people are speaking up about things without an eye towards history. And that, that is in no way in judgment or condemning anybody. I'm just saying like, this is a time in which we should all be digging into our history and thinking and, and studying and saying, what don't I know? And for gay people, I was having a conversation this morning with a friend about this actually, the way that gay people sort of come, gay people of today, gay people who came of age after the AIDS crisis, sort of compartmentalize the AIDS crisis and the people who went through it in a way. You know, there, there's like, there's not a lot of connection there. Um, and to have this play, which is a, a historic and old gay play that's not about the AIDS crisis is incredible because it's the only, it's the only one. Because after this, how can you write a how can you write a play yeah. about gay experience in the nineties and have it not it couldn't not mention AIDS it could not that's impossible right it was the boys in the band short song trilogy and then yeah well, boys in the band yeah exactly it was just it was this pocket of time in which there was we we could talk about something that wasn't AIDS before you know it hit and so I think that it's really important to to read them, to read plays like this, to know plays like this. And I don't mean to say it's the only one of its kind, because yeah, of course, toward, I mean, uh, Boys in the Band, and there are other wonderful no. pieces of gay but theater. There's a, but there's a line that, that is wrong. Yeah, but you know, yeah. but yeah, there is like this, that you can't, yeah, this line, that's a great way to put it, that it's like, after you cross that line, you can't not, you can't behave the same way. I said so, to my husband uh, a couple weeks ago, we were watching the film Love, Simon. Um, oh, sure. yeah. Yeah, and, but I said to him, I wish that movies like this had existed as I was growing up because all of all the gay movies that uh, were, while I was coming of age, were explicitly about AIDS. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until Trick. Okay. I was just about to say yeah. Trick. Yeah. Trick, was, Trick, Trick was, was the, first the one. next line that was written. Yeah. <laughs> Enter you. The, the, you know, actually, I was... How dare you? I know the other day I was with a friend and I was like, Oh my gosh, there's a quote from a movie. There's this quote that is in my head and I can't remember what it was. And it was, and where's the goddamn cheese? Where's the cheese on these fucking fries? Yes. And I was yes. like, what is that? Tory from? Spelling. And he looked at me and he Tory was like, spelling. that's from trick clay. Like I was a trash heap. <laughs> you know that Tori spelling uh, got that role as a blonde and then they cast Mimi uh, or uh, not Mimi. I almost said Mimi. I'm first. Like that's a real thing. Uh, they cut, Coco Peru, and then Tori Spelling showed up as a redhead uh, for the first day of filming. Oh, I didn't know that. Coco likes to talk about that a lot. Oh, ooh, wow. 
That's yeah. fascinating. Robbie, when did you first encounter this? And did you encounter the play first or the movie first? Film. The film. Yeah, so I had decided uh, as, as I was coming out uh, in high school, uh, I needed to know things because, uh, you know, I came out at the end of the 80s. Uh, in early 90s so I needed to find touchstones uh, like what what is it and uh, a drag queen I wish I could tell you who uh, because I would go to bars uh, well before it was legal for me to do but just that's where our people congregated Um, one of the drag queens said you should watch this movie Um, and I'm pretty sure he thinks it's because I could be Arnold uh, I don't like to brag, but um, so so I watched it, fell in love, fell in love with Harvey Firestein, who won two Tony Awards for this, for Tort Song Trilogy uh, as best play, uh, as the author of it, and as best actor in a play, um, and has two others for musicals, which is incredible. Uh, I think he, what he has given to the gay canon, it, it can't be stated enough. Um, but also like seeing that film and like Matthew Broderick in that movie and Anne Bancroft in that movie and then reading the play years later, um, I just, I fell in love. When did you find it? Uh, I found the play first. Oh. Um, I found the play first because like, you know, growing up, we didn't have, there was no, there was no internet. Culture. What did you say? There was no what? Culture, culture? electricity? Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> Somebody did a cave drawing of the play for oh, me. Oh, you are a full of, Flintstone, so I yeah, understand. So I sort of figured it out. It's a living. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would go to like the library, and sure. I would I would pick up whatever plays I could. And of course, you know, being you know a young gay man, but like in a really conservative area, and you couldn't come out, you would start to try to find work that sort of was articulating what you were going through. And this is a play that, like, I think every 10 years I'll come back to and go, oh, my gosh, I see it in a totally different light than Mm -hmm. when I did when I was in my 20s and when I was in my teens. And so I think it's one of those shows, it's like an onion. Like, the more you come back to it, it's going to reveal a different layer about itself or a prism. You know, you hold it in a different way, and you're going to see a whole different meaning behind it. Uh, But I I came to the play first i came to the play first and only the movie somewhat recently i mean i'd seen lots of stage productions of it but for some reason i had never seen the movie until we started this podcast and i was like i should probably oh my gosh so yeah like the charles pierce of it all and the the dragon who's like the mc yeah that's fascinating all all of that was new to me but i had i had been very familiar with the play and i had seen multiple productions of it but i had never seen the movie i had never seen the movie well, you got some Harvey Firestein giving you some love for sale. And I puke so discreetly I can make a sound. You're welcome. Uh, Very good. Thanks. That's it. You should practice. just come read the play to me. <laughs> I think my biggest problem is being young and beautiful. That's it. That's, That's so good. I just, you know, I watched it a lot. I uh-huh. really, I loved the film. Uh, and it helped that Matthew Broderick was so beautiful. And, you know, so he picked up. Yes. Uh, before he sort of was, like, um, acting around roles, he was, like, really beautifully in this movie. You know what I mean by that, though. Yes. He, he plays a lot of things where he comments on what he's doing, like, with a wink to the screen. Yeah. A lot. Uh, yeah. You know, for better or for worse, it worked really well in How to Succeed and the producers. Yeah, but, yeah. This, but you're right. This is him in, like, I think the purest acting form. Yeah. 
because you're and right. It was Wha- just before Ferris Bueller. And I was and yeah. watching and watching uh, watching it recently, watching him in that dinner table scene. You go, you just go, my God, he's such a good, honest actor. I would love for I would love to see him do something like this. And he was bumped again. up because he played mm-hmm. the son on Broadway. Yeah. Do do we know why Estelle Getty wasn't asked? Great question. Let's talk about that. So Uh Estelle Getty originated the role of the mother. And uh, because she was an usher at the theater where it played, and she turned to to Harvey and said, "Uh, maybe write me something. And so he did. And this was at La Mama, right? You know what? I'm going to send a text to Harvey and be like, hey, maybe write me something and just see. Because apparently he just does it. Uh, so, but I have a feeling she was like entrenched in the Golden Girls at the time. Oh, and so sense. probably that's why. Oh, and Anne Bancroft, let's be real, is like a bankable name, and probably the name that got the film made. Wow. Oh, at that yeah. time, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. An Oscar winner. That. Yeah, she's probably the reason the film happened. Yeah. And that role, it's so fantastic. Oh, oh my gosh, it's so good. Mercedes yes. was brilliant, so fabulous, good. brilliant. Do you think maybe they could have filmed instead of using Anne Bancroft? Like each of the Golden Girls just took a turn, like doing one of the scenes. Each, like so it would not be a trilogy. Dress. It would just be a, <laughs> a like you a know quartet, tort song quartet. Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. Is that like doable? Sure. Well, you know? th- they're mostly dead now, so. <laughs> But I'm I would absolutely watch it. I would watch Thank you, Clay. Thank you for it. supporting yeah, my ideas. I would absolutely watch that. Um, we supported well, Steak and Poppers, Robbie. I don't understand why you're not supporting me. Because me, my steak. dreams can be Hold real. them up. And me, Poppers. Uh, <laughs> you just, and Poppers is just like really short. You, <laughs> and just, you know, it's like that, that big dog. He's a little guy. Dog. He's a little, He's yeah. like, hey, boss. Huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we just we take him to the station. <laughs> They're gonna pick this up. I feel good about this. Uh, thanks. What was growing up like for you, Clay? We both grew up in in somewhat suburban suburban areas where there really wasn't a lot of people that either acted like us or or maybe had the same. A lot of gay bars in my area. But really, we didn't, yeah. we, we didn't have any. Where did you grow up? Were, I grew up in Binghamton, New York. Every gay bar was named after. I swear to God, like it could be the name of somebody in a West Side Story gang. <laughs> They were like, it was called Risky Business, Chances, Prism, Twiggies. Seriously. That's not even a joke. Risky Business. Risky Business. I would go to a bar called Risky Business. Yeah. That would be fun. That sounds fun. That sounds like a good night. I think it's called Merlin's now. Oh, magical. I don't go home. Uh, (laughs) Right? Because he's a a magical uh, wizard. Ooh. I mean, Merlin's pretty gay. Yeah. Most wizards are pretty gay. So you're from Utah. I am. I'm from Utah. I grew up in Utah, and I grew up in, like, the most conservative part of Utah. I bet this has uh, been fun for you, this election cycle. Oh, God. You know what's great, actually, is that conservative people in Utah are actually sensible, pretty sensible. Like, there are not a lot of Trump supporters in Utah. Nobody in my family was a Trump supporter, which thank God. Thank God. Can you imagine being quarantined with that? No, thanks. Oh, oh my God. They've, you know, as conservative as they are in other ways, at least they're not insane. Um, right. And you know, I had, 
I was definitely bullied for being gay and, you know, called a faggot in the hallway and stuff like that. But, um, but in general, I think that I had it pretty easy. You know, I have a gay older brother as well. He's just three years older than me. And I was the first one to come out and stuff. But at the same time, we sort of always knew about each other. So it felt like there was an ally in the family, even if we didn't talk about it. There was some kind of unspoken thing. And he's now married and with to a man, and uh, and he's they're great. But um, so I, I had a really hard time with my parents for a number of years, and but once they got on board, they really got on board. You know, like when they yeah, okay. when I got married, they were there in full regalia, doing everything. <clears throat> my dad gave a Mormon prayer at our wedding, and when our son was born, they have been nothing but the most amazing grandparents to him. Was that always a plan? Were you always going to become a father? No, I just, you know, accidents happen. And uh, (laughs) here we are. We love him so much. We wouldn't have it any other way, but he wasn't exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my, my husband and I on our second date talked about having kids. And I think that both of us thought, Sure, it's something we totally would love to do. I don't know that I'll ever be able to do it, you know, because it's difficult to do. I love that. Um, But, you know, we we got married. And right after we got married, we were like, okay, we can let's start heading in this direction. And it's going to take a while because no matter, we ended up doing surrogacy, but whether you do adoption or surrogacy or whatever, it's going to take a while. So you have time. And we were like, all right, at any turn, we could decide not to do this. And at every single chance we had to turn around, we absolutely wanted to go forward. And he'll be three in um, two months. That's wild. You know, so much of, of this play is about family. And I'm wondering, you know, are there any lessons that you've learned about parenting from the play or about how to be a father that you still take with you today as you're, as you're raising your child? Well, that's definitely one of the most radical things about this play to me is that it was talking about a gay family before anybody was talking about yeah. gay families. And it ta- the way it talks about them being married and that they were married, they might as well have been married, who legal or not, that wasn't mm-hmm. an argument about legality of marriage. It was like, we were a couple, we were married. We were a married couple. And that they would adopt a child, you know what I mean? It, that he would adopt, like be a gay parent. It was just so so radical for 1981 like that's crazy it was radical five years ago you know it seems like yeah um so i think that i think that the thing that i learned most about that third the third piece of this play which is about you know the mother and the son and and the adoption of the of the son um is just about compassion you know that you just have to let everybody learn in their own time and continue to love them and they will and hope that they will come along and hope that they will come around to to your situation um that that the relationship of the mother and son of arnold and his mother in that last play is just the most like real version of a gay mother and son relationship than I've ever seen you know I mean it's heightened and full of comedy and drama but at the same time they have some arguments in there that you're like 
I have thought these exact things or have had this exact argument with my mother. And, um, yeah. And the, the, the patience, I think what you had said earlier, which is so interesting, the patience of saying that you just have to let people who are unfamiliar take their time and they'll, they'll come around eventually, hopefully. Um, but you have to give them that space to grow and you have to encourage them along the way. Is that something that you felt you've always had within you or is that something that you feel like maybe you've cultivated since you began working on the play? Um, you know, I think that was always part of the way I was raised, actually. Um, that was my niece. Uh, <laughs> I think that that was just sort of part of the way I was um, brought up. And maybe I say that that's what it's about because that's what I see reflected back at me when I look at it. That could very well be true. Um, but, you know, what I love about it, like it's how I, like with my family, I think that I showed up with my husband to family events, even to my more conservative family events and things with my more conservative parts of the family and just said, you know, here we are and I'm bringing him with me and you might not even talk to us, but we're going to be here and hopefully you will. And I don't want to have an argument with you about it, but we're, you know, that's, and the same with our son that, you know, like we're just, we bring him around and we, we don't like, we are very open to talking to people about, you know, I've definitely had family members ask who's the mom and who's the dad. Oh, not how it, works um you know or like who's the wife in your relationship things like that but you know just talking them through it they're trying to understand people are trying to understand and trying to love you or it's a, yeah. it's a constant coming out you don't come yeah. out once that's yeah. a great way to put it yeah yeah and i was going to say you know a lot of um, listeners i'm sure are struggling with sort of the same thing so how do you keep how do you keep your patience how do you how you know what we might perceive as a question and as a stupid question i mean how do you how do you overcome that and allow a, a safe space to happen where a dialogue can occur that is a great question and i think that you just have to you have to be more level headed and more calm than the average person you know what i mean like you can't it's you have to be the better person in the situation. And I think that's a shitty thing to say, but I think that it's also sort of true that it's like, I know going into those situations where someone is going to want to just argue with me about something that doesn't have to do with my lifestyle at all. You know, they just want to start an argument about something that diffusing the situation and accepting their really accepting their offering, accepting them trying to understand you as a form of like love. That it's like, all right, I understand you are, you are trying to figure out this situation. So let's talk about it. And, you know, like to not make fun of them or judge them for not understanding. Like, for instance, in the instances when somebody has said to me, like, which one of you is the wife and which one of you is the husband in my family, which has happened a couple of times. That it's like, look, they don't, they don't know that that's kind of a not great thing to say. Sure. They actually are trying to, that's, that's the, that's what they understand. They're trying to figure you out through their lens. So but like meet them on their level. Let's just say, Hey, that's just kind of not how it is. That's what's wonderful about it. Um, you know, that like we can talk about it and not, not be super offended and not be offended by their offering of, 
trying to help, you know, trying, trying. to understand. Yeah. It's trying. a lot about trying. I think, especially like right now, we're all trying <clears throat> with everything that's happening in the world. We're, we're just trying to expand our lens, our, our view. So yeah, good. Uh, and it's great that, that you have a patience where you're yeah. able to, to uh, say. Not always. Sure. Sure. <laughs> that's when try, you say, that's I'm, when you I say he's trying. Mr. Right. I'm Mr. Always Right. <laughs> and that's what it is. Yeah. How did, yeah, how did you, I mean. Oh, go ahead, no, please. What, no, what were we going to say? No, I was just, I was going to ask you how you and your husband met each other, but. It was we actually, Moises Kaufman met, uh, introduced us. Um, yeah, Moises was directing a production of Into the Woods. He did this like crazy anime version of Into the Woods. It was so cool. Clint Ramos did the, the design of the show and um, Lauren Warsham was in it and Bryn O'Malley and uh, it was a fantastic wow. group of people. And it, and it was at, er, er, my husband Eric used to run the Kansas City Repertory Theater. He was the artistic director and it was at that theater. So he, I didn't meet him until we were in production but Moises introduced us and um, we became like best friends right away. There wasn't like a, there wasn't a sexual flirty vibe at first. It was just like, we just would sit and talk for hours and um, like at rehearsal and, you know, and then the last weekend of the run of the show, I asked him out on a date. I love that. Here we are 10 years ago, 10 years oh, later. Ah, mazel. Yeah. That's, that is, that is wonderful. Um, you know, are there any traits of Arnold or any of the other characters in the play that you hope that, you know, your son who's representing a whole new generation that, you know, you would love to instill in him as, he's, as he goes on his life journey? I think what is so amazing about Arnold as a character and what Michael Urie did such a fantastic job yeah. portraying because it is brilliant. Oh my God. He was so brilliant. Yeah. Um, I watched that performance a lot of times and I was always, always surprised by it, always in love with it, always enamored of him as a character. I, I thought it was just spectacular, but, um, but what is wonderful about Arnold is he is a very good person. And, um, I think that it's easy for Arnold to choose what he believes in and then stand up for that thing, you know, or not easy, but he does it. And I think that he, I, he is a person who knows what he means. He knows what he uh, knows what he believes in, you know, and goes after it and stands up for it at every turn. And whether that's in the first play that he's sort of like, not great at being a, a quote unquote gay man, you know, like he doesn't go to these hookup bars. He's never been to one before. And then he starts to go, you know, he's very new to them. Um, even for a drag queen, you know, for somebody who's like public persona is so big. Um, then to, to the last play where he is, you know, wants to raise this son and wants his mother to accept him in their life and wants his mother to accept his, his past relationship with his um, widowed uh, husband, you know, um, he's a good person. And I think that there are lots of plays and lots of, especially at the time, there were lots of plays about gay people who weren't good people. Yeah. They were fun and they were funny and we liked them, but they weren't really good people. Now we were the villain um, a yeah. lot. Yeah. The fun, sassy villain. Yeah. And 
Arnold is fun and he's sassy and he's a good person. That, um, that I think, I think that's, is that's inherent in Harvey. Period. It he just embodies that in anything that he's written or done, stage or screen. Like he in Feather on the Roof, was he the greatest Tevia ever sung? Absolutely not. Was he the most paternal but, man I've ever seen yeah. play the role? Absolutely. He he seems yeah, right. He seems to just radiate so much love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering, what were your interactions like with him on this particular production? He was the most generous, and I mean monetarily generous and, and emotionally generous. He, would, he bought us all gifts all the time. He was always at the theater. He just wanted to be around. He, he, loved, he loved participating in it. And I think he just loves the theater, I think. And I, you know, he just wanted to be around and wanted to be a part of the company and wanted to share stories of with us, which we were all hungry for, you know, about the creation of it. And, and um, I think that it was, it was so wonderful to have, you know, he is Arnold, you know, to have Arnold there with us um, was just so amazing. Was there anything he mentioned about the creation of it or, you know, backstage anecdotes that just blew your mind? I mean, a million of them, and I can't. We're looking for Estelle Getty stories. Oh my gosh, there are seriously so many. I know he shared so many, and I can't think of a single thing right now. Of course, no, no, no. That please, that's okay. And you know, one of the things you would talk about earlier is this idea of just you know, you're you're a voracious reader, right? And you you just love history. Um, If you were just beginning your journey into this world what what sort of books would you recommend what sort of movies would you recommend for for people to learn about their history because we're not in the textbooks you know we're not our our legacy is not yet being taught to a whole new generation so where would you recommend starting well we're not in the textbooks and isn't that wonderful because textbooks books are boring and we're in all the art that's what i would say is what's really amazing is that we're in the plays, we're in the poetry, we're in the, go read Walt Whitman, first of all. And then you like the real Walt Whitman, not the, not the fixed versions. And like, read the plays, look at the paintings, see the movies, you know, like look at the, look at the gay artists that, that have come before us and see their work because their work was a, was a direct reaction to the life they were living and the experiences they were having. Um, that is a great place to start and then start reading, you know, what do you think was your ring of keys into uh, queer history? This is a great question. I mean, I think I would have to shamefully say, not shamefully, but I think Rent was like my era. Shameful. It's not yes. shameful at all, but it, I wish it were something more like niche and no, intellectual. No, 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 please. Cats grab the people so that then we could make other things. <laughs> exactly. Is that your Bible, Bible Robbie? Like, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Chapter one, verse Old Deuteronomy. seven. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, um, I can't. I could talk about that terrible film for the rest of my life. <laughs> There's a book um, cut. I just need to see the I will say, cut. I have a good cat story. What? Oh, cut. That video is so funny. My husband went to see cats when he was a little kid. And old Deuteronomy used to sit on stage and sign autographs during intermission. And he was like, my husband was this very nerdy, like very quiet kid. And he was standing in line 
and he got up to the very front of the line and the usher was like, all right, that's the end intermissions over. And the guy looked down at him and was like, sorry, and walked away. <laughs> Isn't that so horrible and sad? So oh. I got him as a Christmas present about five years ago, a picture of old, a signed copy, a signed picture of old Deuteronomy from the original Broadway production. And Paige. Ooh, yeah, Ken Page. Yeah. To heal. I wasn't going to say his name because I didn't want to be mean. No, Ken but Page Ken looked Page down at him was... and was like, you, get out. <laughs> He's also in the Torch Song trilogy film. Yes. Oh, yeah. He... Yeah. Full circle. Come on. I love I'm Ken. obsessed that that back. old Deuteronomy was a Macy's Santa Claus, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, kid. <laughs> Sorry, kid. <laughs> <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. Uh, very very yeah oh my god that's funny uh, so rent, so rent was the ring of keys moment rent was the ring yeah of- it was you know as a like kid growing up in utah that was the like gay people young gay people like me you know uh and, you know like i saw i saw the rent tour like twice or three times or something uh but that was like my that was probably my first like intro into it and then trick Oh, you know, come on. Trick is a big one. one. Do you have any favorite quotes from uh, Torch Song? You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, it's not so much a quote, but just the confrontation between Arnold and his mother, mm-hmm. I think is one of the most perfect two-person scenes in the, oh, entire, yeah, yeah. in the entire history of the theater. I really, I really do. It is Especially so... when it was between Mercedes Rule and Michael Yuri. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, you could feel a whole audience when just recoil at yeah. some of the things that she would say to him. It was so, it's so visceral. And I mean, those are two brilliant artists, but mm-hmm. it's that writing. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's, it is that writing. It is that writing. It is that writing. That writing comes from somewhere. I mean, because I mean, I love, I love the whole play, but you get to that scene between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's worth the price of admission yes. alone. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't. I, I hate to say I don't have one specific quote. It's just reading that scene, analyzing that scene, watching that scene, and no matter who you see do it, no matter the level of the production, it will always punch you in the gut. Always punch you in the gut. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. The writing. words are amazing. Yeah, the words are mm-hmm. really really incredible. It's true. I think the first monologue that opens the show, the young and beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, is spectacular writing. Uh, and so, too, is the backroom scene, which yes, when I read yep. the play, you know, or, or in my early 20s, I was like, how do you st- how can you stage this? You can't stage this. Mm-hmm. He's being penetrated. You cannot stage this. And they did. I, and I had never seen Tort Song on stage until I saw the second stage production uh, and then on Broadway. And it, it staged so beautifully and funny. It was very funny. such such an i mean this in the best way such a clown he is yeah yeah there are very few it it is that is an extremely hard role to play that role requires a lot of an actor and michael is just so uniquely qualified to do it that getting to see him do it was yeah he also did it the same year he played hamlet i know yeah <laughs> can you michael believe Yuri. that yeah that's insane he's um, an absolute genius that and I and the oops, the oops uh, huh. monologue is one of the funniest things oops. I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, that was no oops. Oops is when you accidentally douche with Drano. Uh, yeah, brilliant. 
I, he writes these arias. He just, I mean, he just writes these mm-hmm. stunning, stunning arias. I love anytime he writes a new play, I will, I will always, always be there. He always exposes something about the human condition that I think you've always felt, but we're never able to articulate either as intelligently or as humorously as he does. It's a gift. My God, does he have a gift. He's one of our most important gay playwrights too, because basically newsies aside, that's what he writes. Our yeah. queer stories, Lacage, mm-hmm. uh, Torsong trilogy, um, are his mainstays. The little bits that he contributed to Hairspray, uh, that he gets a royalty for every time it's done. Good for him. For him. Yeah. No, good for Actually, him. he bought you gifts because he's got hairspray money. Yeah, that's true. It's hairspray money. It's for sure hairspray, hairspray and newsies money. Mm-hmm. But like he, like what he's contributed to the queer canon, it's undeniable. First of all, because Harvey Firestein is one of our most important queer playwright voices and queer voices. Period. I think that if you haven't seen his numero uno magnum opus, then you should probably have your gay card revoked. Also, I think that understanding like the perspective of gay history that it gives you seeing that play, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that that would also be another, another reason why gay card might be revoked. Um, and just for that same reason that this is not, you know, the, I, I won't name other plays, but there are other plays where like, gay will. characters are kind of despicable and you're kind of like, I don't like any of these people. Whereas sure. in, in Tort Song, I feel like you fight for everybody. Yeah. You're like even the people who were in the wrong, quote unquote, you're like, oh, but I know why. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us to talk about Harvey and Tort Song and celebrate this really, really wonderful piece. How can the people find you on the interwebs? They can find me at, at Claiborne Elder on Instagram and on Twitter. Those are the yep. two best ways. I'm following him on both. Amazing. And whenever Broadway reopens, go see him in company. Yes. He's spectacular and uh, gets down to his undies. So that's a gift for truly everyone. (laughs) Gay, straight, doesn't matter. Maybe, you know what, Robbie? Maybe that's what I'm going to get you for Christmas. An autographed copy of Clay. Yeah, I think that would be great. (laughs) Signed by Ken Page. But signed by Ken Page and Clay is actually dressed like old Deuteronomy. Just singing, sit down and rock the boat. So, so Robbie, what's what's everyone's homework assignment for our oh, next well, episode? First of all, everybody should be following us on. Uh, oh, thank you. At, at G Revoked, uh, you can follow me at Diva Robbie. You can find out about my very exciting album uh, that's coming out for Pride Weekend. And uh, in two weeks, we're coming back. We're actually going to take it back pre-Stonewall. We're going to talk about the documentary before Stonewall. Yes. Yeah, start watching. So start watching. We'll post a link for that. Clay, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate you being with us today. I hope you and your family stay safe in Utah. You know, stay healthy. We hope we see you soon. Yeah, we can't wait to see you Yes, it is my absolute pleasure. It's delightful to see both of you. I, I I think you're both so smart and funny that it's a delight and thank you for having me. Well, that's my liner notes. Thank you. <laughs> Put that on the liner notes. He's, he's smart and funny. Smart and funny. Yeah. He didn't say handsome. Smart and funny. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. All right, everyone. Till next time.